0: Hi, and welcome to the Your Good News podcast with me, Katherine Getty. It's easy to believe the news around us that the world is dark and the future is the same. But what if we chose something different? What if we chose to find the good news in each day? This podcast is a collection of interviews with friends, mentors, colleagues on their good news. From business to health to politics and everything in between. It's my hope that you leave with a boost and find your good news. Talk about an episode full of lessons that stay with you. My guest this week, Amanda, is a cancer patient, advocate, researcher, artist, to name a few of her many hats. She's one of the warmest people I've ever had the chance to meet, and she shares so much wisdom a little under an hour from the symptoms of ovarian cancer to the importance of perspective. We delve into it all. Without further ado, my interview with Amanda. Amanda, I could not be more excited for this conversation for everyone to hear. I start every episode the same. Amanda, what's your good news?
1: Well, um, I'm so excited to be here with you, Catherine. I have lots of good news always. I think um, that's, that's a good problem, I guess. But yes, I would say that it's really wonderful to be alive. Um, or as I might say, it's really great to be hashtag not dead yet. Um, That's how I like to think of myself.
0: I love, I can't wait to get into this a little bit more. And what we we all talk about, and we were introduced by our dear friend, Kyle King. If you haven't listened to his episode, go back. It's amazing. Um, And he shared just with me, your sunny disposition, your outlook on life and the joy that you bring to those that you're around every single day. And so you noted, you know, in your pre-show prep and also in your first answer that you can have a great life even in the midst of big challenges, and I felt like that was a beautiful place to kind of set the foundation. So let's let's set the foundation for everyone. Kind of how do you, how did you get here?
1: Absolutely. Um, so I would kind of say that my complicated story um, starts when I was 29 years old. And at the time, I had kind of everything going. I had a successful career. I was working in higher education, and I was teaching public service leadership at Stanford University. I was kind of helping nerds save the world.
0: Love that. Love that. People like
1: you, actually, Catherine, (laughs) I used to get to work with people like you when you are in college, and people like Kyle, and people like a lot of the people you've spoken to on this Mm -hmm. podcast. And so I had a you know great job. I was a newlywed. Um, I lived in California. I really loved it out there, and things were going really well. And um, I had just returned from a summer in Nicaragua with about 15 of my incredibly seriously Type A Stanford (laughs) pre-med students.
0: I can understand. I can understand.
1: And so it's a little crazy because you are literally in charge of their health and safety for the whole time you're there. And I'm supposed to be a trusted <laughs> adult.
0: And at 29, you um, don't always feel like a trusted adult.
1: No, no, not at all. And so I had just returned and had this wonderful experience with um, with amazing students. And we got to learn so many cool things. We were actually working In different clinics, health clinics in Nicaragua, we got to like work on a traditional tea farm. That you know, we got to learn how to harvest medicinal tea, (laughs) and we got to like you know um, run these health fairs. All sorts of really cool things. Yeah, really neat because so many of the students who were on that trip with me, I'm still in touch with most of them, and so many of them are doctors and doing amazing things, or they're working in public health, or just just all over the place. That's so cool. Yeah. And so I had just returned from that really busy summer. And I was about to give a presentation in Denver. You know, I lived in San Francisco, but I was in Denver for this fancy presentation. And I was supposed to speak in the morning, which of course is like, on one hand, you're honored that they asked you to speak. Yeah. (laughs) I was kind of younger, but it's also like, Everybody's hungover and like yeah, you, know, you like don't.
0: Getting, this, the eight AM <laughs> slot is you're doing you're doing the Lord's work in that slot.
1: Absolutely, everybody's like you know fighting over cream <laughs> for their bagel <laughs> while you're talking. So I was heading downstairs to go speak to the group. It was a leadership conference, and I grabbed my bag and I felt the worst pain I had ever felt in my life. Like it was a ten on the pain scale, and oh I have goodness. had lots of painful things since. Yeah, but this was really bad, and it was so bad that I knew I was either going to pass out or it, it had to stop. Yeah, know, something had happened, and so the next thing I knew, I was on the floor of this fancy hotel in Denver, on the in the lobby, trying to get into an ambulance. You know, the <laughs> the ambulance has come for me, and so I got sent off to this hospital in Denver. And luckily I had a couple of friends that were at the conference who were really able to be helpful and, you know, kind of take care of me. Karen and Jackie and John are forever in my heart and with me because they were there day one. Yeah. You know, when I first got sick and what happened was they said, Oh, um, they did a bunch of tests and I was still having all this pain and they figured out it was an ovarian torsion which is just as crazy as it sounds it's like when you're fallopian tube um you know on the end of it yeah and the ovary flips around so that literally there's no blood flow going to that part oh my oh my goodness
0: i've actually randomly heard of someone having
1: this she was on a different podcast and it wow okay it's very painful. It's it's actually kind of it's kind of related to when men have that happen with their testicles. But <laughs> oh it can happen with women's ovaries too. And it was just because there was, you know, a big tumor on that ovary, but we didn't know, right? Oh my goodness. And for about two years I've been going to the doctor saying something's wrong. I don't know exactly this, what it yeah. is. But at the time I was an athlete, I was involved in a lot of activities and sports and, um, was very active and, you know, ate very healthy food and had a very healthy, active lifestyle. But, um, I knew something was wrong, but I kept being sent away from the doctors saying, no, you're okay. And then, um, when I was, uh, waking up from the surgery, you know, they said, we're just going to make some little cuts. We're going to untwist your insides and it'll be fine. And so I was waking up from the surgery. I guess it was many hours later. Yeah. And a nurse comes in to check my vitals and she says, I'm so sorry to hear you have cancer.
0: That's how, that's how, (laughs) that's how I, you're like, I'm pretty sure, I don't know a lot about many things, but I know it's not supposed to happen that way.
1: Like, definitely, it's not supposed to happen that way. That is, (laughs) okay.
0: So, you're waking up and you've been told this and you're like, I think you might have the wrong chart. Like, how did you process that sort of?
1: It was so strange because I just had surgery and without my contacts, I can't really see anything. Yeah, And so I was completely, you know, in that I couldn't (laughs) see anything. I was like, what did she say? Oh my, did she say I have cancer? What? And I'm I'm just by myself. There's no one around. At the time, my husband was trying to fly from San Francisco to Denver, but I'm just by myself for hours sitting there thinking, what is going on? You know, this is very, yeah. And what does this mean for my life? And it it really did feel like one of those moments where it's like,
0: things are changing
1: tomorrow. Yeah. So they did the surgery, like immediate,
0: they did it like immediately, but you had been having like Issues for a couple of years or? A couple of years even. Okay.
1: Absolutely. And, and so, the, s- yeah, the kind of tumors I had grew pretty slowly at first. Got it. So I was really lucky in that sense. But it sounds strange, but actually the torsion is what sent me to the emergency room, which is how they discovered the cancer.
0: Were there other symptoms that you were having for people to kind of be aware of and I feel like it's things that I just had no idea. Like there's so many things and so many different types of cancer in that area that I am learning a lot about, but mm-hmm. how, what sort of symptoms for ovarian cancer could people and obviously see, seek medical professionals love. Yeah.
1: Of course. No, Catherine, thanks for asking. Cause it's something that I really think is one of my purposes is to, you know, tell, tell other, other people. Um, and, you know, Women need to know. Men need to know because everybody knows women that they love yes. and care about. <laughs> and um, as women, sometimes we don't complain very much. Mm-mm. You know, sometimes we keep these things inside. We don't and- want to be a burden. Absolutely, you get it <laughs> on the head for sure. And so, it's really important to know these subtle symptoms that are just—they're nothing to panic about. They're just something to follow up on and go to your gynecologist. So what we what we say, and I teach this stuff, I teach this to medical students and nursing students yeah. and regular people all over the place. Um, and it's four major symptoms. And if you have any of these four that are new or unusual for about two weeks or more, just go to the gynecologist. Yeah. And then they can follow up and do some tests on you. So the four symptoms, and again, any of these four, Um, pelvic or abdominal pain. And so this could be something like a sharp pain like I had that sent me to the emergency room. Or for me, before I found out I was sick, I would just have these pains every so often that would just last like 45 minutes. And I would probably just lay in bed kind of in the fetal position. Yeah. And I just kind of thought, oh, this is probably like something cramping. Or this is maybe ovulation or... You know, you don't know what all these different feelings really are exactly, right? And they feel different a little bit in different people. Um, But any pelvic or abdominal pain that's persistent, this Mm -hmm. is just why we follow up with a gynecologist, because something might be normal or something might be normal for you, or it might be something that we really have to watch and see how it changes. So keeping a journal about some of these things can be really helpful. Okay. Because if you notice it's more than more than two weeks, just make sure you make a doctor appointment and start with a gynecologist because then you're starting in the right place. Right? Okay. Yeah. And so the next one is bloating. So this isn't like period bloating. This is like bloating for a couple of weeks or more. This is the kind of thing where some women describe it as they might be actually losing weight, but their waist is like pooching out a little bit. Okay. Right. Sometimes it's like some, it really what it can be is it can be your body retaining fluid within. To try to. Oh, OK. That's sometimes what it actually is. And sometimes, you know, if you think about it, any of these symptoms can just be tumors moving around the things within your kind of belly cavity, which we call the peritoneum. OK, so the third one. So we said pelvic or abdominal pain. And we said bloating. The the third one is is feeling full quickly. So Mm. a lot of people mention this. It's a thing where you might be really hungry and you go to eat and you can only eat a couple bites and then you're full. Is that because it's like growing up into your stomach area? Yeah, it's kind of just pushing on things in a way that makes you feel full really quickly, even though you didn't eat very much. And so it can be a really bizarre feeling for a lot of women because they're like, okay, I'm eating less than I've ever eaten. And my belly's like not as flat as it used to be. But like, that doesn't make sense. I'm eating yeah. less than ever. Right. Okay. So sometimes that's what it's like for people. And then the last one is any urinary issues. So that's like if you're going more frequently. If you're just anything that's different about when you pee. So, yeah. like for some people, it might be that they can't pee. They they wake up in the morning and they don't pee a couple mornings in a row. Like they can't. you know, go like, that's right away. odd. Yeah. And it's not like a big problem. It's just like, oh, that's weird. I should follow up. Yeah. So it's really just stuff to follow up on. And we used to say that these symptoms were like silent. They used to call ovarian cancer the silent killer. But what yeah. we say now is that it whispers. We actually Mm. need to pay attention to these symptoms, even though they aren't, they don't seem that weird. But in reality, most women who get diagnosed had one or more of these symptoms, up to all four. And we just need to follow up on it as quick as we can. And it's
0: good to just be educated about it because I think it's, you know, as women, when we're going into those OB appointments, they are not they are not the ones you really want to be at. And so, <laughs> no. you know, you're probably given pamphlets about warning signs or, you know, different things like that. So it's a good reminder to intuitively listen to your body. And if there's something just different, and may it be if you're a woman in these, you know, these examples, or maybe it it's something else, it's a good reminder mm-hmm. that we need to to listen. And so you were having some of these mm-hmm. flashback to Denver. Your, in the, you know, post-op getting this information, what kind of what was it was the next step? How did you kind of push forward from it?
1: Yeah, so I'll tell you another depressing part first, because I promise there's a really good news part that comes after. Hey,
0: the (laughs) the whole idea of this podcast is finding the good even in the face of hard. So we're at the right place. You're, you're, Amanda, you're at the right place.
1: Sometimes I hear myself saying these and I'm like, wow, that I forget that it's my own life,
0: (laughs) but it's an out-of-body experience. I feel that. I feel that often.
1: And to mention, you know, this is 13, more than 13 years ago. This was 8808 was when I was diagnosed. Like I never want to see the letter, the number eight again. Eight, eight, oh eight. Yes, it's the luckiest day in the Chinese year, you know, because of all the. Oh eights. yes, yeah. Oh, so it's when the it's the day that the Beijing Olympics had the opening ceremony.
0: <laughs> you're like I, I'm triggered. I'm triggered. Totally,
1: it was on the TV in my hospital room, but of course I couldn't see the TV. Much. You're less like, like I. I
0: it. <laughs> you, no, nothing is computing. Nothing's computing. I so
1: know. you're. So eight, what happened next? Yeah. Yeah. Was I'm I'm sitting there and eventually my husband, who I've been married to for about two years at the time, he shows up and he's there for about, you know, 15 minutes. And I told mm-hmm. him what the nurse said and everything. And then he said, well, I'm going to go back to my hotel.
0: <laughs> okay. Spoiler alert. In the pre-show prep, you shared that you had a not so great divorce. I now, I now understand the impetus for that decision. So how did you like when things like that were happening, you know, did you kind of have to draw on different strengths or different experiences? Like that sounds like an awful experience to be in a place so vulnerable and to be so scared. Like, how did you kind of bounce back? Did you, I mean, I think everyone has those days that are hard and.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And anything that I'm telling you too. You know, there are, these are really challenging things I'm talking about, and I don't, I don't at all mean to make any of them sound easy or to, you know, lighten the gravity of some of this. But I really do believe that there are um, ways that we can really make ourselves more resilient, and there are definitely always opportunities to be grateful for some of the things that surround you and some of the people that surround you, and to just, you know, take strength from those things. You know, really focus on the positive. Um, And for me, the bottom line that always makes it possible for me is that I'm—I really am always kind of focused on, okay, how can I use this weird experience that has happened to me that's maybe been kind of horrible, even? How do I turn that into something that I can use to help others? Wow! You know, and and that's that's real power. It becomes so powerful. Right. Like if you can use your voice, your unique voice, you know, where you have something to say, you have a story that matters um, and you have experienced some struggle. You know, when you can take that and you can you know, turn it into something that helps somebody else, that makes somebody else's day easier, that maybe helps prevent the same situation that you've been through for somebody else. I think it's really important because in this world, we're often. We often think of power as like, you know, powers related to money, powers related to a position, powers related to those things. But in reality, you know, there is so much power in personal experience, right? Like, it can help persuade people about all sorts of things, you know, if if you can say, no, like, I can actually tell you about this from my life, you know, like, um, sometimes I know that people might remember to follow up with their doctor yeah. when they don't feel well because they've heard my story or something like that, you know, or when I speak to medical students, it's really, I leave and I think, I just think, oh, I hope if even one person in yeah. that class is able to diagnose someone earlier with ovarian yeah. cancer, that would be amazing because, amazing. yeah, it's the difference of life and death you know and at this point in my life you know you often hear people say with cancer and people give people with cancer this advice all the time people constantly say this to me yeah people give you really crazy advice when you have <laughs> cancer by the way <laughs> yeah i i have
0: recently learned this from a family member i'm like i don't know if that's ideal
1: yeah they give you some strange advice but one of the things people say is you know don't let cancer define you And I get it. I totally get it. And I get the good intention of it. But for me, cancer defines me. All day long, I make decisions that cancer is part of the decision-making process. Yeah. Yeah. Today, I decided I would take a shower for you, but not put on makeup because we're not using this video.
0: (laughs) No. No. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I I'm had to
1: decide I don't have enough energy to do both,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is going to make me feel better, better. and being in a better position. Like, you know, I have to make decisions sometimes between things that normal people think you just get to do all of them. Yeah. <laughs> you no, know? um, I, I make decisions where I sit in a public place based on where the bathroom is, you know, like <laughs> I, I make too. decisions. Oh, good. good. Easy. A- yep. Also
0: easy exits. I look for the exits.
1: It's absolutely. Absolutely. You know. Mm -hmm. And I think another part of that, too, is like everything that I'm doing um, with the time and energy that I have left, because I do have terminal cancer. I've been terminal since 2015, which means that I have outlived a couple of expiration dates already. But I'm going to plan on (laughs) outliving as many as I can. And um, for me, it's like focusing on cancer as an issue, a social justice issue that I care about means that I get to make a difference on something that is really important. And yeah. it's something that I know intimately. And it's something that also I have learned all sorts of things about. I feel like I should like have a PhD in cancer at this point because <laughs> think of all the things you have. Maybe to you need to start a podcast to,
0: to tell people about all the different things. Just saying. I'm planning there, a scene are for some, you.
1: there are some great cancer podcasts out there. I, the newest the two I would recommend highest yeah for the talk about cancer podcast. It's amazing. That's one anyone would like because it goes over stories of families, stories of patients. yeah, another great interviewer. and then another one that is brand new that is incredible is called the onc Docs like the O and oh, C like oncologists, C like oncologist. Stuff. yeah. And that's actually one of my one of my partners in the research work that I do, her and her husband, are both oncologists.
0: That's really, I bet that's a really cool.
1: It's really cool because they, you kind of get the expertise and the empathy kind of both, you know, um, because they went into that for the right reason, you know, and it's really cool to hear.
0: I think, you know, there's just so many things that you've been sharing that I'm, I'm just in awe of and it's, it's a good reminder that we shouldn't find our value and our visibility. Like it shouldn't be about like, I find this with the podcast. is like, it's not about, you know, impacting a thousand people. It's impacting 10 people that I love and it's it, paying it forward. And it sounds like you kind of have a similar view on it. And I know that, you know, you're a, a patient, an advocate, an artist, a cancer disparities researcher, I feel like I didn't get all of the titles in there, and you talked a little bit about the disparities. Um, Is it just in cancer research? Is it like funding levels? How do people, you know, I feel like people are touched by cancer every single day. What things do they need to know about kind of the disparities there?
1: Oh, absolutely. That's a great question. And just to go back to what you just said, too, one thing that I, I feel like based on listening to your podcast, I feel like we may be having common, too, is... I think something really powerful is to, you know, um, a lot of us grew up as young, ambitious women taking on the world, you know? (laughs) And I think when you have the switch in your head that says that maybe my ambition is not about position, maybe it's Mm. not about money, maybe it's about impact, maybe it's about the way, maybe it's about relationships, and maybe it's about those kind of things. Um, I think that is a powerful, powerful moment.
0: A hundred percent, because I think this society wants, I feel like in, I will blame society, but society values money and values that next rung on the ladder or whatever it may be. And it's like, when you leave this thing called life, Mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter. Like it matters, like the people that you have touched or the way that you've left this world in a better place. And
1: Absolutely.
0: It's, you know, finding your value in like that smile from somebody or like asking someone how their day is going or, you know, it's not only easy. I don't always measure up, but it's trying to do it again the next day and the day after that.
1: It's worth it. And that I I feel very ambitious in that kind of way. Yeah. You know, Um, I I feel really excited about um, helping people really find happiness instead of maybe, maybe some of those material things that we think really matter, you know? And for me, it's been really amazing to see that, um, you know, how, you know, how we often introduce people, like everybody has kind of like a one-liner or some bullet points. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of like the bio that other people use about you. And, you know, I've been the girl with cancer for 13 years, (laughs) right? And that's kind of how others think of me. And especially now I've been disabled um, and unable to work like a normal kind of job since 2015, And so, um, all the projects that I work on are cancer related and they're things that I do when I feel well enough, which is sometimes like four in the morning. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, it's, it's great because everybody I work with understands my situation. They know that I'm in active treatment and sometimes that means I'm sick. And sometimes I don't have control over, you know, I can't necessarily have my best moment at the moment they need me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right but I found a way to still make a lot of great things work. And I think what, what I really want people to know is that you can pick your own bullet points. You know, um, if you, if somebody looked at my life from the outside, you know, they might, they might, it sounds kind of depressing. Okay. So I'm divorced. I don't have any kids because, you know, I had cancer and um, had to lose all the those parts. And then I can't even adopt because I'm dying of cancer. Right. So like people are always trying to fix it. Like, they'll be like, Oh, but maybe you could adopt. And I'm like, Nope, terminal no. cancer. I'm not even eligible for that. <laughs> you know? And, and by the way, like you don't need to fix my life. It's not yeah. broken.
0: Yeah. You're like, I'm, I'm good. She <laughs> thinks I get oh, to decide okay. my happiness.
1: Totally. And, you know, and um, I can't work in my career anymore that I really loved, but you know, for me, my bullet points are, um, I have love in my life. That is the best it's ever been. And, um, I never thought that I would ever like have intimacy or a relationship when I was divorced with cancer for the fourth time, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I thought it was for sure all done. Cause you know, what do you put on your match.com profile? <laughs> you know, They're <laughs> like, which bullet points do I pick for this one? Yeah, or like, I felt like it was like, um, I needed to like, find, you know, get some catfish from Nigeria interested uh, in me or something, you know, or like, yeah,
0: some prints, some prints from
1: start writing to prisoners or something, right? That could have yeah, worked. you're
0: like, I don't know how to do this.
1: <laughs> it just wasn't.
0: But it I think wasn't, it's perspective. It's, geez, you know, it yeah. sounds like finding the perspective and finding like, I think you're right. I think oftentimes, and we allow others to to write those bullet points. And it's a good reminder that we need to kind of be our own advocate for our lives and the lives that we want to choose every single day, which is not always easy. And there are things that happen that we can't control, but how we respond to it, like our reaction, that's our power. That's our choice.
1: Absolutely. And I, one of the things that I do, um, two of the things that I do that I think are really easy tips to kind of put into your, your everyday life you know, one is um I kind of use, I guess, positive self-talk or you would yeah. say like a mantra or things like that. Um, That's kind of big in my life because I didn't know I was already doing it. Yeah. <laughs> but for a long time, I really would tell myself it can't get any worse. It can't get any worse. It can't get any worse. And you know what? It really did get worse. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're like... You're like, okay, I'm manifesting something else because we're going to try this again.
1: (laughs) It was not the right thing to be telling myself because I think it was just, it was just, it wasn't, it wasn't what I needed to, to be thinking about. And now I even, it's almost like a little song in my head. Yeah. I, I hear myself saying it when I wake up in the morning and when I go to bed and, You know, just when I'm walking around the house looking in the refrigerator, (laughs) but I think about, I think about um my family. I love my family. I love my friends. I love my mom. I love my dad. I love Patrick. I love Debra. I like mention (laughs) myself. I mention you know friends that are on my mind in the moment, and I just you know I end up kind of having a little sing song thing in my head, and um, it
0: totally changes. It totally changes. I like in the morning try to think of like three things I'm grateful for. And I do a mantra. And it totally changes the way you kind of show up to those tough times. It It really does. does. And so are there, I know you said positive self-talk. Is it kind of the mantras are the same? It's like the second point on that.
1: Well, I think also um, one of the things that I like to do is, I mean, I'm a, I like to make cards. That's what I do as art. Is I make really weird cards that are like one of a kind and there's never been two that look alike and I usually try um, to put as much glitter as possible and, you know, I love shiny, I love, I love jewels, all of that. Um I had to develop a special way to make glitter cards for people like Kyle King in my life because <laughs> he gets really stressed out if like the glitter is gonna fall off yeah. on the floor. Or he's something. like thinking
0: it's gonna be a glitter bomb. Like he's yes, he's not ready for that. Time.
1: Yeah. Uh, well and he knows to expect it. So <laughs> I have developed like even very elaborate things to control techniques. it as yeah. it
0: opens up and <laughs> yeah. I love this. Can so people find control. your can, can people buy your cards are they like available yeah. online and well, we'll add all this in the show notes
1: yeah I, like, mostly i come? sell through instagram and okay. um, just to friends and so on instagram i'm just michigan manda like M I M A N D A, and my all my cards are called not dead yet creations and um i have tons of fun making them but but what's good about that is every single one is like you know, sending love to somebody in your life. So it's so fun to, even when things aren't going really well for me, to be able to write on a little something and send it out or make a little something to show somebody that I care about them or I'm thinking of them. And I've moved around so many times in my life. I've lived a lot of different places. I've been really lucky to, you know, have had different relationships with people all over the world. And that's how I stay connected. And it's so much fun.
0: It's I mean, I love writing handwritten cards. I feel like I'm like, I'm not gonna let this I'm not gonna let this art die. Because I feel like getting a handwritten card too makes people feel it. it's it it just it lands differently than an email. We can all say it. It lands. So
1: everyone go write a card to someone you love. Oh, it's so worth it. And if even just, you know, making something really simple, take the Paper out of your printer, fold it up in fours, oh. and just you know, draw a little heart on the front or something. You don't have to be an artist, but just sending something that you made is really special. And, and it's
0: a fun. It's also cathartic to be able to like draw like we were in kindergarten again. Like I loved your art is much higher than kindergarten, oh, but like no, I like no. feel like when I'm like drawing, I'm like I look like a like it's Jack, my nephew, or like me. Oh. And we don't we don't know who's whose art it is
1: so you have good embrace embrace childlike you know know? it's helpful for us
0: sometimes play you know absolutely so we touched on it a little earlier but let's delve in a little more on the cancer disparities research Um, i found this to be so fascinating um how could people learn more help sure you see out there
1: well one thing the reason that I got involved in this is because, you know, I do know, like, you know, cancer has put me through so many challenges physically and emotionally and mentally. And it's it's a really challenging disease. And I think it's really important to know that there are people just because of, for example, in cancer, people just because of their race might have an even tougher time than I did just because of something that they can't control. But we know from research that there are actually worse outcomes like life and death differences between different races um, in the cancer world. And so that's something that I'm really passionate about is how can we make care better? Um, Yeah. And uh, I've just learned that, especially through just people that I'm close to and friends who are different from me, who have been through similar things, but have had different outcomes. And so... I think it's really important. There's also a lot of differences between different types of cancer. Like, for example, you know, we, right now it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, which is yeah. great. Um, and it's really important to know that, like, just because things are pink, that's not actually doing anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can buy a whole lot of weird pink things now Yeah. Um, in October every year, but it doesn't even mean that necessarily a dollar the is money going is getting to, to help. Research. Absolutely. Okay. And what's really important is that, you know, we have a lot of awareness about breast cancer, but we also have a te- we have screening tests like mammogram. You know, something like ovarian cancer, we have no screening tests. Like when you go for your regular yearly checkup, you're they're not checking for ovarian cancer. There isn't a screening test. We don't have one. They're they're doing a a test to check you for cervical cancer. Okay? They're checking you for that. But there's not a test so that's why we need to know the symptoms and the other thing is women who have had hysterectomies you can still get ovarian cancer even if you don't have ovaries doesn't that sound crazy it's so crazy but my my,
0: my mind is blown my mouth is agape right now I'll,
1: i'll hear that all the time from women we'll be at health fairs and we'll be talking about ovarian cancer and they'll say oh i don't have to worry about that i don't have any of those parts anymore and it's like, unfortunately, it's still possible because it's about the cells. That within. they can jump, right? It can yeah, jump outside and then start to... It's kind of like, like the way my cancer is. It's almost like little tiny, tiny grains of sand that can just be kind of within that cavity. You know, one thing that we know is that a lot of types of ovarian cancer we've now discovered come also from the fallopian tubes. So sometimes people have their ovaries removed, and different kinds of ovarian cancer can come from your fallopian tubes. And it, we can even have very young children with Beckett. ovarian cancer.
0: Yeah. Are there organizations that you would suggest people look into to support, or you know, if they want to support a broader cancer group, are there ones oh, that to yeah. look out for?
1: Of course, um, there are really, really wonderful ovarian cancer resources, in particular through um, the, oh, it's called Oprah, OCRA, O-C-R-A, um, the Ovarian Cancer Research Alliance. Okay. It's a great one, it's based in Washington, D.C. And there's also state organizations all, all over the place. And then another one I'd love to tell you about that I think really fits with your topic here is that um, a particular challenge, you know, a lot of the people that you've interviewed also for this podcast, kind of, we all a lot of us fit in that realm of like, Emerging adulthood, you know, yeah. like, yeah, um, you know, I got cancer when I was 29. I was, you know, people that are diagnosed between 18 and 40, they're actually called AYA cancer, which is adolescent and young adult. Oh. And what's really important about that is that if you think about it and all the people you've talked to speak to this, yeah, um, at that time in your life, that's when so many things are happening. You're going to school, you're figuring out your yeah. career. You're maybe having kids or maybe having relationships or, you know, there's all these things that are changing quickly. And so to get cancer in that age range is especially challenging, you know, yeah. especially because you don't really have like your parents to take care of you, but you don't necessarily have I have a partner, or, a partner yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or maybe you already have kids you've got to take care of. I mean, it can be a really crazy time. And so one of the cool organizations that's out there that is so... Good news. It's crazy, Catherine. They are called First Descents, like descent as in going down. Yeah. First Descents. And so FirstDescents.org, and they're incredible. And I, I learned how to whitewater kayak in like a class four rapid in Montana that I had no else. business. <laughs> I mean, no business, no business doing this. And they taught me how to do that when I had cancer for the fourth time.
0: Okay this is I mean, this organization sounds what, amazing
1: and and what was and they do this with um those people diagnosed between 18 and 40 that's really who they're focusing yeah. on and it's our people they also now work with people with like MS and diseases like that yeah. and what it is is it's about proving to yourself that even though these challenges are happening and you know you're kind of you're living in in the struggle you yeah. can still do hard things I love this so much it's so cool it's one of my favorite organizations out there it's an incredible one to support and um one of the things that i think is really important is like that's what taught me really seriously that changed my life because i think when you can get so sick and you can lose abilities you start to wind down kind of a little bit yeah like you feel like gosh i can't do that much anymore and instead my life i mean i'm not a doctor But I run a medical research team of 20 amazing women who are physicians and epidemiologists and public health experts and professors at fancy colleges and amazing patients and caregivers. We all work together on this team on this really important study to try to help, help basically listen to Black patients who have gynecologic cancer and learn from them and help make solutions so that their lives with cancer and their cancer care is going to be easier. And, you know, the, the kind of boldness that yeah. you have to be able to believe in yourself enough to be able to say, well, I don't have a medical degree, but let's try this. And, you know, we're funded by Cornell. We have like an incredible work we're doing and that you know, is- I'm surrounded by such talent. And expertise and empathy. And these are people who want to listen to patients. They want patients to be part of the process. And so I got that kind of boldness from First Ascent. You know, that's what taught me, like, you can still do it, Amanda. You can do, you can do more difficult things than you've ever done because, you know, even though you're struggling, you turn that around into opportunity. You turn that around into where you know, I'm able to help people who I can relate to, you know, they've been through things like me. And so my voice matters. That is,
0: that's really inspiring. And I'm definitely going to go check out firstdescents.org. Yeah, you would love it. Ovarian Cancer Research Alliance. Alliance. And I'll I'll be sure to include that. One other thing I want to talk on is the language around cancer. And I found this to be so um so moving and so important and so I'd love for you to share kind of your perspective on the language that we utilize around cancer and it's always it's typically been more focused um so kind of your experience with it and suggestions on flipping that
1: script. Absolutely, thanks for asking. Um one thing that I think is really important as we often use war metaphors for all sorts of things with disease and disability. And, you know, um, I think sometimes that's so that um, we're trying to get away from that shame feeling, but, you know, there's nothing to be ashamed of being disabled. I'm disabled, but I also have all these other qualities and all these things I can do. But when it comes to fighting cancer, I don't fight cancer. Cancer is some cells in my body that have mutated. Right. And, um, they they make some things difficult for sure, yeah. but it's almost like I can't really fight my own body. Yeah. If that makes sense. And they're they're literally inside my body. So one of the things that we say is like you never can lose a battle to cancer. You know how when people die, they yeah. always say in their obituary? So and so lost a battle to cancer. And you can't lose a battle to cancer because at worst the cancer's dead too. So it's a tie, right? Yeah. <laughs> like- I never I've never I mean I think it's
0: I think it also reframes how you show up because yeah. it's like you're not fighting your own body and I think that that's such an important it it yeah. really changed the way I kind of will talk about it and
1: yeah when and when you think of somebody like me who this is my fourth time with cancer you know it's it's a really big part of my life but Um, my body has gotten me through so much treatment, so many tumors, so many challenges and surgeries. Like my body is incredible and strong and um, it can accomplish things that most people's bodies never get tested this hard. Yeah. So um, another thing that it can do too, is sometimes fighting cancer and like beating cancer, you know, we get, we really love cheering for people who beat cancer. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's great. I I love celebrating somebody being what we call ned no evidence yeah. of disease. That's amazing. I love celebrating that. But um, when you think about it, it separates those people who had cancer once and luckily their cancer was um, went into remission and they didn't have any more cancer. But for all the rest of us, you know, are we fighting any less hard Yeah, we not doing the right things. It takes away.
0: Yeah, I would. I would think, and correct me if I'm wrong. It would take away kind of like that. Your experience is like it's almost like makes it like less than or
1: yeah, in a in a way. It it kind of just separates us in a way that that isn't that helpful because realistically. Um, if there was a way to fight and win, I would have done it a long time ago. So would all the loved ones that we have both lost this terrible disease, they would have fought and won. And and I think the biggest problem is that it gives us an idea that we have control over some things that we don't. And so I think the number one way to focus on really being happy with your life is understand the things you can control. I can control Mm -hmm. what I eat, I can control moving when I feel good enough to do that. Yeah. I can control following up with my doctors and taking my medicine when I need to. And, you know, I can, I can surround myself with people I love and, you know, get rid of people that aren't, yeah, are not, really not serving. <laughs> and, and then what's really cool is when you, when you do that, you realize, okay, there is a lot I have control over, but at the end of the day, I don't have control over those little cells in my body doing exactly what I want them to do yeah
0: I think it's just so important to like just hear that because I think so often people want to take control over things they can't and you know we can control like you said how we show up every day and how we choose to interact with those around us and I think that's I mean there's just been so many little nugget drops from the symptoms to be aware of to how to be resilient to the importance of a gratefulness practice to making sure that we're being our own advocate and finding the joy in each and every day and helping others. Before we wrap up, is there anything else you wanna leave the listeners with?
1: I think it's just, you know, um, it's it's really, it doesn't mean that we all don't have bad days. We all have bad days. But one of the things I love to do is kind of give myself a little time to wallow (laughs) if I need it. And then, you know, make a plan to do something fun, even if it's just watch a movie or talk to a friend on the phone, or maybe you feel like eating something special or doing something different. I mean, make a plan to help turn your attitude around because um, it's possible and it means that you can accomplish a lot more. And it means that you're going to be contagious, that good attitude for other people. And um, so I just wish everybody the best. And Listen to your body. I'm so glad I got to learn more about you, Catherine. And i so been so proud much fun. of what you're doing. You put good things into the world. It's We're, awesome. We're, you know, trying
0: over here. Um, <laughs> it has been an absolute joy to have you on today. I can't wait for everyone to hear. My heart is still full from the conversation I just had with Amanda. As you got to hear, she's a true light, and I'm grateful she shared her good news. If you liked, please share with a friend and family subscribe and leave a review and then join us next week for another episode of the your
1: good news podcast